Well, good morning. Welcome to Springbrook. Welcome in for worship this morning. We are so glad to be with you today. We haven't had the chance to meet yet. My name is Bethany, and I'm the worship director here. And we are excited and expectant for what the Lord is going to do in this place, in our hearts, and our lives this morning. We believe we are here for a reason. And so we are glad that you are with us for this time. If you're joining us online for our 9 o'clock service, we have online hosts who are available for you all throughout the service. They would love to answer your questions. They would love to pray with you. Just get to know you a little bit. No matter where you are, we don't want you to feel isolated or cut off from community. We want you involved in what the Lord is doing here. So take advantage of that chat. Make a profile so we know that you are here and get to know some of our hosts. They would be delighted to engage with you this morning. Well, I'd love to invite you to stand, if you are able, for a call to worship, which today comes from Psalm 100. The Lord calls us to worship in this. He says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And so we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Let's lift our voices together this morning, singing praises to our God, who is so good.
as we proclaim what we believe together this morning.
believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the saints' communion and in your holy church. I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Together to celebrate um, communion. And it's typically at this time that we, we focus on the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus and we celebrate uh, the forgiveness of sins that we have and what it means for us to have that assurance of spending eternity with Him. And that is something we should focus on, it's something we should celebrate. But Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, when he begins teaching about communion, after he teaches about communion, encourages us in verse 26 to evaluate ourselves. It's an opportunity for us to do a heart check. He says, whoever eats communion in an unworthy manner is at risk of bringing down wrath upon themselves. And so we are to evaluate ourselves as well. It was fun for me this uh, morning. I was thinking through how many times I've celebrated communion since I've become a believer. It's 312 times. <laughs> and so I don't know how many times you've taken communion since you've become a believer. But this is an opportunity for us to think back at the point at which we made a faith commitment. It's an opportunity for us to think back and, and reflect on the work that God has done in our life. We have come a long way, haven't we? Or we should have. And also in our life, there's things that kind of hold us back. And so we are to reflect on our lives and evaluate our hearts to make sure that there's nothing holding us back as we come to the communion table to celebrate the good news about what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. And so in just a few moments, you're going to have an opportunity to make your way to the front to get one of the communion elements or some bread and some juice. And so you can pick those up and you can take those back to your chair. And you can take communion during this next song as the Lord leads you. Or if you have difficulty getting up from your chair or your seat and you want somebody to bring you communion, you can just raise your hand and a member of our communion team will bring communion to you. And then when we're done with communion on your way out this morning, if you would just take those uh, cups with you and put them in the trash can, that would be fine. But this is an opportunity for us to celebrate the hope that we have in Christ, to give thanks for that assurance and to evaluate our hearts as we come before a holy God that loves us and wants a relationship with us. Father, I just thank you for this day you've given us today, and I thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together this morning to encourage one another. God, through our communion service, God, we just want to lift our lives up to you. God, enable us to be able to evaluate our lives in a way that we are living in a way that brings you glory. And God, we just thank you for the hope that we do have in Christ. We thank you for this day that you've given us. Every breath that we take today comes from your hand. And so, God, thank you for your provision, and we lift this morning up to you and pray all these things in Christ's name.
Jesus, we love you. Spirit, we love you. We thank you for this blessed, wondrous mystery of God becoming man, taking all of our brokenness and our corruption into himself and killing it on the cross. 
and then rising victorious and handing over his victory to all of us to participate in. God, we really, really, really can't fathom it. We really can't fully grasp how deep your love for us had to be to go to those lengths to bring us to yourself. For anyone in this room this morning, for anyone watching this service online that is struggling with their self-worth, that is struggling with believing that they are good, that they were created for good, that they are seen and known and loved, Father, will you remind them of Jesus? Will you remind them of the lengths you went to to bring them to yourself? We thank you for the body broken and the blood poured out. We thank you for the cross and the empty grave. We thank you that Christ ascended and is seated at your right hand and is interceding for us at every moment. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are in our midst. When we feel you, when we don't feel you, when we sense you near, when we feel you're far away, you're actually always present and at work drawing us to the heart of the Father. Will you continue to draw each one in this room this morning to yourself? We need you. We absolutely depend on you to see things clearly. Will you open our eyes today? Will you open our ears that we might hear your truth in a fresh way? Will you open our hearts and make them soft? Will you break off the rough edges, the things that we are keeping up to protect ourselves or to defend ourselves? Will you make us tender today and receptive of you and what you have for us? Spirit, comfort each heart. Convict us, challenge us, encourage us this morning, we pray. All of these things are for you and for your glory. And it's in Christ's perfect name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are so glad that you are uh, with us today. If this is your first or second time with us in Springbrook, uh, we want to extend a special welcome to you. If you're watching with us online for the first time, uh, we're glad you're with us as well. Uh, in your seat, you've got a connection card, and so I just want to encourage you to take that out for a moment. Uh, put your first and last name on there, the names of any adults that are with you. Just let us know you were here with us this morning. Uh, that would be great. And if you're watching with us online, uh, there's a place for you to connect uh, with that online connection card up in the upper right-hand corner. Or you can just say hello in the chat. If you have not had a chance to log in yet and say hello, we'd encourage you to do that. I know right now there are 17 people watching online that haven't logged in to let us know you were here. So log in, say hello. We'd love to be able to uh, connect with you and engage with you and just be able to say good morning. And so, uh, but thanks for being with us today. Hey, we kicked off uh, our Starting Point workshop last week. It's a two-week workshop that gives people some information about Springbrook. And, and so that workshop's off and going. I know Pastor Matt's got a How to Study the Bible workshop uh, that he's going to be starting soon. And I think that is about filled up. And so uh, we've got a couple of workshops here that will help you to get connected and start to engage and experience spiritual growth. We have a spiritual gifts workshop coming up on uh, August 17th. It's a three-week workshop designed to help you to be able to identify and unlock the power and potential of your spiritual gift. And so if you do not know your spiritual gifts or you have questions about what spiritual gifts are, if you have a relationship with Christ, you've got a gift. And so we want to encourage you to jump in and sign up for that workshop. We have a couple
couple of spots still open. It starts just in a couple of weeks. And so if you have any questions, just be sure to let us know. You can register for that on our app or you can find that on our website um, as well. And then I also know that our worship team has been uh, hosting a, a, a calendar event for online auditions. And so we're doing auditions for our worship team. You know, it's been my experience that when people sing, sometimes they think, well, I'm not a very good singer. Or if they play an instrument, they think, well, I'm not a very good player. You know, if God's given you that gift, if you have a, the ability to sing or to play an instrument, I know Bethany would love the opportunity um, to talk with you. In fact, next week we have some information for you upcoming as well. Uh, but if you want to uh, get some information about an audition coming up on August 20th, uh, please go to our website. You can find that on our app as well. All of our ministries, as we move towards the fall, are just praying that we'd be able to engage our community in a fresh new way as we prepare for what God has for us. And so if you have questions about the worship team or you're interested in one of those auditions, uh, you can jump in uh, on that. And then next week, we're kicking off our children's ministry as a back-to-school bash. And so we're celebrating with our kids the start of school. I know the kids probably aren't happy, but I, I think the parents are. <laughs> and so we're going to celebrate with our kids the start of the new school year. And so that's going to be next Sunday uh, at the 11 o'clock service. And then be praying about the startup of our 9 a.m. service. And so we're going to two services uh, coming up next month for uh, children's ministry. And so we have recovered from uh, the past two years. We've got a strong 11 o'clock service, and 9 o'clock is going to be kicking off in a couple weeks. And so I'll watch for some information about that as well. And then I also I want to encourage you now. You know, fall is coming, and uh, when, when we get to uh, September, uh, Pastor Matt is working with our small group leaders now on a, on a small group open enrollment sermon alignment series. And so we're going to be moving through the book of Colossians. And so we are so excited about uh, the fall. And so you can be praying about that. If you are a small group leader, I know uh, Pastor Matt has sent you an invitation to a small group leaders gathering that's coming up. You want to be sure to register for that so you can get the information that you need uh, about our upcoming sermon alignment series. And I just want to encourage you that if you are in a small group or you're thinking about hosting a small group, uh, we would love to see a multiplication of small groups as we move into the fall. Uh, so many of you, 60% of people in Springbrook are experiencing small group life. It's an opportunity to come together, to make friends, to be encouraged, and study the Bible and experience life transformation. And uh, we have a lot of people that have not had a chance to connect to a small group. And so if you are interested in opening up your home, if you want to use the curriculum, you know, we'll help you uh, get a small group off the ground. I know Pastor Matter and myself would love the opportunity to talk with you, so be praying about that as well. Got a lot of great things uh, coming our way as we move towards the fall, and we're so glad that you are with us uh, this morning as we continue our series, the intersection of faith and fear. Pastor Tim's going to be out in just a moment.
So that was all me. I forgot to introduce Edie Mathis baptism. <laughs> I walked off and I was thinking, wait a second, I think I forgot something. <laughs> so we had an opportunity to celebrate Edie's baptism last week. And so Edie had an opportunity to uh, make a faith commitment when she was younger. Uh, she came to into a relationship with Christ and she's excited about heaven. And it was so encouraging to listen to her share her story about how God has strengthened her and helped her to overcome the health conditions in her life. She's excited about who she is in Christ and the opportunity to spend eternity with him. And so we had an opportunity to celebrate um, her baptism uh, last week. And so I just want to encourage you that uh, if you have any questions about baptism, if you're interested in being baptized, we'd love the opportunity to talk with you. I know Edie is here this morning, and so you can stop by and congratulate her. But congratulations. And if you have any questions about baptism, be sure to let us know. <laughs> All right, Tim. <laughs> All right, I think it's me now, so. <laughs> well, good morning. You know, I don't know if you're like me in this, but I actually really enjoy driving. I, uh, I like uh, when I have the opportunity just to uh, get out on the road, on a road trip. It gives me uh, the opportunity to uh, um, sort of slow down a little bit uh, from other responsibilities and, and focus on that. I enjoy being behind the wheel and, and, and driving. Uh, that is, of course, when I'm not stuck in traffic, that sort of takes the fun out of it a whole lot. And it's also not on the few occasions that I've had that maybe you've experienced as well where you're driving, but the weather becomes so bad that you cannot even see the road in front of you. Maybe it's in a complete whiteout snowstorm or maybe it's that a fog descends so heavily. Or perhaps that the rain is just lashing down. And I found myself in that situation on a few occasions. And you're there kind of white-knuckling it. And, and you're trying as hard as you can to focus and to pay attention just to stay on the road. And the worst thing about it is that, that you're aware of the fact that because you cannot see anybody else in front of you, that also means that the people behind you can't see you. It certainly takes the fun out of driving when you can't even see the road ahead of you. It's also true, however, sometimes when you're driving, and I've experienced this on a couple of occasions, that even though the weather may be absolutely glorious, and you may be able to see what is around you perfectly clearly, that sometimes you find yourself in a situation, even on a clear day, where you still can't see the road ahead of you. I found myself uh, uh, once or twice in an environment surrounded by these beautiful rolling hills, but with high hedgerows to the side. And the, the road is so narrow and so twisty, meandering here and there, that you can literally only see about 20 feet or so ahead of you. And on one occasion in particular, I was driving in that kind of environment, and I'd never been to this place before. And somebody had just told me, get on this road and keep on going until you get there. And, and after a little while, you start to doubt yourself. It's like, well, I'm on this road, but I've been going for a really long time, and I cannot get my bearings because I cannot see the road ahead. We experience that sometimes when we're driving. But there's also a lot of times even in our own lives where we can very much feel the same way. And maybe as we are gathered here, even this Sunday morning, 
there are some of us who, because of the weight of the financial debt that we are living under, it feels like this huge obstacle that is keeping us from being able to see the road ahead. There are others of us who are in a a place in our marriage where there has come about some disconnect between us and our spouse. And we're not entirely sure how we got there. And we know that something needs to change. But we can't see the road ahead. We have this feeling of, I don't know how to get there from here. For some of us, maybe we have this dream, this vision for a business venture or for a ministry that we believe that God is leading us towards. But in the midst of everything that is going on in our lives, there is a sense in which we've, we've come so far, but now we, we can't see the road ahead. Or maybe still others of us are at a season of transition. Maybe, maybe your kids are up and grown and the last one is about to flee the nest. Or maybe you've been waiting and looking forward to retirement and that retirement day has come and they've given you that watch. And you spend a couple of months now doing some of the things that you always wanted to do. You've been out there playing golf. You've taken that vacation that you always dreamed of. But all of a sudden you woke up one morning and you realized, now what? Where's the road? What's next? There are times in our lives where we find ourselves as if on that road driving along where we simply cannot see the road ahead. And as we seek to walk this journey of faith, we can find ourselves overwhelmed, discouraged, with a sense of being lost and directionless and even fearful. We cannot see how to get there from here. Last week, if you were with us, we kicked off this series. We're spending a few weeks in the book of Genesis. And we had the opportunity last last week to meet a man by the name of Abraham. And we discovered that this man who lived some 4,000 years ago, who all through the Bible is heralded and held up as being a great hero of faith, was also someone very much like us with flaws and struggles. In fact, we saw how God had called him to step away from everything that he had known and to step out in trust and courageously follow where God was leading. And how he did it obediently and with great faith. And yet at the same time, how after stepping out, he found himself returning to this crossroads of faith and fear. And he very quickly chose the path of fear. This morning, as once again we come to the book of Genesis, we are once again going to, in a sense, look over Abraham's shoulder. And we're going to learn together how it is that God helped to sustain and to lead Abraham, even when he couldn't see the path, even when he couldn't see the road that was before him. And as we learn from the life of Abraham, we're going to discover together this morning that when we don't see the road ahead of us, that the same God 
who sustained and led Abraham is still sustaining and leading today. So would you join me once again in God's word this morning in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis, the first book of the Bible, chapter 15. And there we read this account. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my, be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who have brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, and a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he bought him all of these. He cut them in half, and he laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcass, on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there and will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites, and all the other sites that happened to be in the area as well. What do we see going on here in this book of Genesis, here in Genesis chapter 15? It, it seems like a very foreign, unusual scene. But what we see in this passage is that when Abraham couldn't see the road ahead, God sustained him with his promises. God sustained him with his promises. This chapter begins with the declaration that the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. And, and, and God speaks to Abraham, and, and he gives him 
this incredible promise. Now, since our time together last week, we we were in Genesis chapter 12, and there God had called Abraham out uh, of his land to go to the land that he would show to him. Uh, We saw how there was a famine in the land, and and, and, and at that crossroads of faith and fear, Abraham had, even after an act of great faith, had chosen the path of fear and gone down to Egypt, and we saw the mess that that kind of created, and how God showed up even in the midst of that. Well, since that, in in, in chapter 13, After coming up out of Egypt, Abraham was with his nephew, one of those who had been traveling with him. And they had both become so prosperous and had so many flocks and so many herds that it was becoming difficult to graze them. So they had decided to go separate ways. Lot had gone one way with his possessions and his flocks and his servants. Abraham had gone the other so that they could graze freely. And then in Genesis chapter 14, something happens, and that is that there is a war in the area. And and a group of kings rise up against a group of other kings, and Lot, Abraham's nephew, is kind of in the midst of this whole mess. And so when the kings come in against the others, they sweep through Lot's uh, um, uh, flocks, uh, through his tents, and they actually take Lot and all of his family and everything he owns as prisoners of war. Well, there in Genesis chapter 14, we learn that when Abraham hears about this, he gets together all of the young men who are kind of surrounding him and as a part of his extended estate. And they launch a surprise attack against these kings. They rescue Lot. They free all the prisoners of war. God is merciful to them in that way. But here then, at the beginning of Genesis 15, God speaks to Abraham. It's interesting because the first thing he says to him is, Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Now, we don't know for sure, but it appears that even after that great victory, Abraham is now maybe somewhat fearful because, you see, he launched this surprise attack against this group of kings. And maybe he's thinking to himself, what happens if they decide to take reprisal, to take vengeance against me? And so as God meets with Abraham, he says, don't fear. Don't fear. I am your shield. That is, I am your defender. And what a wonderful promise, because let's think about that. I mean, if we have God as our shield, if we have God as our defender, there is no more secure place to be than that. In fact, over and over and over again through Scripture, we see the Lord speaking to his people. Don't fear. Be not afraid. I think that's significant because as we're talking about this idea of being at the crossroads of faith and fear in this series, we often find ourselves there and we lean toward fear in a whole bunch of different areas. But whenever we come back into the presence of God, he reminds us, do not fear. Don't be afraid. To Abraham here, he gives him this promise, I am your shield And he says to him, your reward shall be very great. 
Now, even after conquering these, these kings and, and rescuing all of the captives, Abraham is actually offered the opportunity to, to gain great wealth and to take a lot of the spoils of, law, of war for himself. But he says, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to profiteer off of rescuing these people. And so here, God is reminding him, even though uh, uh, you're not taking those, know that I am not only your shield, your defender, but I am also your rewarder. But then we come across something really interesting here. Because after God makes this wonderful uh, and, 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 and amazing promise to Abraham, Abraham says, well, well thanks, thanks very much, Lord. Um, but here's the thing. It's good that you're my rewarder. But what reward is worth me having when I don't have anyone to share it with? Uh, what is the point of greater abundance when I don't have anyone to pass it on to? And Abraham says, you remember, God, that you promised me that I would have descendants and offspring and have an heir? Well, here's the thing, God. I, a number of years have gone by now since you told me that. And there's still no child. In fact, my servant, Eliezer of Damascus, he's a good guy. But he's the one who's going to inherit everything because I've got no one. I've got no heir to give it to. So thank you for being my rewarder. But what's the point? If I don't have anyone to pass it on to. So we kind of see this, this vulnerability here. As, as he calls out to God in, in, in these verses. In verse 2. Oh Lord what will you give me for I continue childless. Behold you have given me no offspring. And we see kind of this cry there. And yet God speaks to him and says, no, that servant will not be your heir. He says, your very own son shall be your heir. He says, go outside. Look up into the sky and see the stars and try to count them. Because your descendants will be just like that. They will be as numerous as the stars. And then Abraham, as, as he responds to what God says to him, this promise of God, you shall have a son and your descendants shall be as numerous as the stars in the sky. We're told here in verse six. And Abraham believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham was struggling because he couldn't see the road ahead. He's like, God, you said this, but I don't see how. God reassures him with his promise. And Abraham believed God. Now, this is a significant verse in actually all of Scripture. So much so that the Apostle Paul in the New Testament even refers to it to remind us of the fact that, that our salvation is not based on our actions. It's not based on our works, but it is by faith. Just as Abraham 
believed God. That is, he took God at his word and acted upon it. That's really what we do when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, right? We acknowledge that Jesus is who he says he is. That he has done what he said he would do. That as we come to the table of communion, we talk about the the body broken and the blood shed. That that was for us. And we respond by faith. And by faith, not because of anything we do, not because of anything we bring. But entirely because of what Christ has done on our behalf then we become recipients of this salvation, this forgiveness of sins, this reconciliation with our holy God. In the context here of Genesis chapter 15, the issue at hand for Abraham was even when he couldn't see the road ahead, he took God at his word. He believed that God's promise was faithful. But more than that, we have this kind of strange account that then unfolds. Because when Abraham was fearful and discouraged and couldn't see the way ahead, God gives him this promise to sustain him. And, and the first part of the promise is about the, the, how numerous his descendants will be. But then he goes on in verse 7, he says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And again, Abraham uh, says, well, God, I believe that, but, but how do I know that I'll possess the land? I mean, I look around and it's filled with people who think it's their land. And they're not going to take too kindly to me just kind of walking in and saying, hey, everybody, this is my land. God told me so, so um, why don't you go? And again, God sustains him with his promise. And, and, and he tells him, tells him to go and to get these various animals. And God enters into an unconditional covenant with Abraham. And so Abraham is sent to get these animals. He gets them. He prepares them. This seems strange to us. He cuts them in two and arranges half of them here, right, as in half of an animal here, and the other half of them over here. And what we actually see unfolding here in this passage, while it is strange to us, would have been very familiar to Abraham. He would have understood what God was doing. Because you see, in the ancient world, at this particular time in history, if you were establishing a a contract with someone, if you were entering into a covenant with someone, this is what they would do. They would take these animals, they would cut them in half, they would separate the, the two halves like this. Then one of the parties or both of the parties would then read or they would publicly declare the terms of the contract. And after having publicly declared the terms of the contract, both parties then would walk through between these animals. It's kind of like shaking the hand at the end of a deal or signing your name at the bottom of the contract. But the the implication of this was really quite simple. If one of us breaks the terms of this contract, 
may it be done to us what was done to these animals. It was a serious thing that they were entering into. So God, in in a way that Abraham understands what is going on, he says, let me demonstrate to you the certainty of this promise that I am making by entering into a covenant with you. And so the, the pieces are set up. God declares the terms of the covenant. He says, I am the one who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. I am the one who is going to give you this land to possess. He goes into the details then. Uh, um, Abraham falls into this deep sleep. And as he falls into the sleep, the Lord announces this. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs. There'll be servants there. They'll be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nations that they serve, on the nation they serve. And afterwards, they shall come out with great possessions. And they'll come back into this land. Now, it's really interesting because if we had the time to study through the remainder of the book of Genesis and especially into the book of Exodus, we would actually see every part of this fulfilled. Even down to the amount of time. Because what's going to happen is that Abraham is, in fact, going to have a son. And he's going to have descendants, and they're going to begin to multiply. And then there's going to come a day where, where through the evil acts of a group of brothers, the one brother gets sold into slavery in Egypt. His name's Joseph. He had a really cool coat with all sorts of different colors. So he goes down into Egypt. He is mistreated. He's abused there. But by the grace of God, God raises him up into a position of leadership in the land. Later on, during a famine, the whole family is going to gather there in Egypt. But then after Joseph dies, a new Pharaoh will arise who did not know him. And he will persecute and enslave this family. For 400 years. God's going to raise up a man by the name of Moses. And in demonstration of great power through sending of plagues. Through the parting of the Red Sea. God is going to bring his people out of slavery in Egypt. They are literally going to plunder the Egyptians. They're going to come out with great wealth. And where is he going to lead them to? He's going to lead them to the land that he promised. Abraham's descendants are going to go down into Egypt as a family, and they're going to come up out of Egypt as a great nation in fulfillment of this very promise. Again, the scene here is a little peculiar to us. As Abraham's in this sleep, as the Lord announces the elements here of the, of the covenant, it then says, when the sun had gone down, And it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And what we're supposed to understand here is that this is a representative of God himself walking between those cut animals. And why is this significant? Because you see, there are places that we find in Scripture where there are different promises that are made, different covenants that are made. And sometimes it is what we might call a conditional covenant, a conditional promise. It's kind of the, if you do this, then you will receive this blessing. But then there are other places where we see precisely what we see here. 
And this is what we call an unconditional covenant. Because you see, Abraham would have understood how these covenants, how these contracts worked. Okay, you, you, you set the animals up in, in their halves. Uh, you announce the terms. You say, okay, so your responsibility is to do this. My responsibility is to do this. We're in agreement. We walk through. The contract is sealed. Well, here, only God passes through. What God is declaring to Abraham is simply this. I will fulfill all that I have promised. And my word, my promise, is not dependent upon your actions. It's not dependent on anything that you do. I will fulfill this because I have declared it. And what I have said will come to pass. So even, even when Abraham couldn't see the way ahead, God, who is faithful, set before him a promise to sustain and to lead him. And our covenant-keeping God remains the same today. He is faithful to his promises and what he declares he will do. When Abraham couldn't see the way ahead, God gave him something to hang on to while he waited. And the same is true for us today. Is when you and I are having difficulty seeing the road ahead, God's promises sustain us and lead us. You know, it's been said that God's promises are the assurances that he gives to his people so that they can walk by faith while they wait for him to work. His promises are the assurances he gives to us so that we can walk by faith, so we can step out courageously, so we can go even when we can't see the road ahead as we wait for him to work. Now, don't get me wrong. God is always at work, but you probably noticed this, and that is there are some times in our lives where it's really hard to see what he's doing. But when we understand that God is, is faithful, that what he has said he will do, then we realize that he has given us something to hold on to even when we can't see the road ahead. See, we face those situations on a regular basis. Those times where we need to hold on to something. And the good news is that God's word is utterly reliable. Now it's true that when we go through the pages of scripture, there are all manner of promises. And we do have to be discerning as to how we understand them. Because there are a number of promises that are given to specific people in specific situations. That we should not just say, okay, I'm going to claim that promise. 
So, for example, we could go here to this passage in Genesis, and we can see that God promises to Abraham that he's going to give him offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky, that he's going to give him a land. We cannot go to this passage and say, God's going to give me a nation. God's going to give me offspring as numerous as the sky. God's going to give to me this, this country. We don't get to claim that as a one-for-one promise. It was made uniquely to Abraham. But you know, there are many promises that we find all throughout Scripture where we can either see the principle there or actually take the promise itself because it is addressed to the people of God at large. I talked a moment ago about this idea of there being conditional and unconditional covenants or promises. When we come to the promises of God, the promises of God are for the people of God. And the way in which we access them is the same way, in a sense, as Abraham did, is by faith. By faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there are a lot of people who are in our, even in our own community, who are happy to talk about God's promises, and you just go on Facebook and you see people posting things. It's like, if you say amen to this post, then this will happen. And people are claiming promises that they have no business claiming, in part because they don't know and have not believed the one who has promised. And so I want to caution us, but also exhort us. If, if you have never come to that place of acknowledging Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then know that that is the starting point for us to become, in a sense, children of promise, recipients of the promises of God. It is the door that, that, that we have to pass through in order to take a hold of all that God has promised to his people. It's by faith. But what are some of these promises? I mean, when we find ourselves in a situation, like I mentioned earlier, where the financial debt is just overwhelming, where the, the, the struggles in our marriage are so discouraging, we don't know how to move forward, where, where, where we feel like we're alone in the midst of things. How is it that God's promises sustain us? How is it that his promises lead us even when we can't see the road ahead? When you can't see the road ahead and we find ourselves again at that crossroads of of faith and fear and we are just finding ourselves constantly falling back into that path of fear. We can go again to his word. And we can find again who God is and what he is like and what he has declared on behalf of his children. A few of these we talked about briefly last week. But when you feel overwhelmed, by fear, or when you feel isolated and alone. God has given us his promises. He's reminded us, for example, in Matthew chapter 28, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, actually, the context of this is what the passage that we call the Great Commission 
And, and, and so he's talking about the fact that he is with us wherever we go. So we're, we're commanded to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you wherever you go, even to the end of the age. So as we step out, even when we don't see the path ahead, when we step out in obedience to Christ, we always have the promise of his presence with us. Likewise, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Keep your life free from the love of money. That's kind of hard in our culture, right? Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, sometimes we feel overwhelmed in situations because we're constantly looking. That, well, this is what I don't have. This is what I don't have. This is what I don't have. And God's saying, oh, hold on. Hold on. Remember what you do have. You have my presence. You have my presence. And when you know that you have my presence, then you know that you can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. So I don't need to fear what man will do to me. We can hold on to his promise. When we feel isolated, when we feel unsure, when we feel like we don't know the path ahead, God has promised us his presence. When, when uh, the prophet Elisha was uh, in a serious predicament one day, uh, we read about this in the book of Second Kings in chapter 6. It's a wonderful account there. We're not going to take time to go into the whole thing. But in Second Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 19, uh, there is a, a foreign army. And Elisha has, has been giving reports about the, the, this foreign army's movements to the king. And, and, and so the, the, the oppressive king, the one who's coming in to try to attack, he gets really mad about this. And he says, let's go and take out this prophet, Elisha. So one day, Elisha and his young servant go outside of the house that they're staying in. And Elisha's servant looks up and he's like, oh no, we're going to die. I'm paraphrasing. And, uh, and he says that because all surrounding the entire town that they are in is this foreign army. And Elisha, the prophet, is just standing there saying, what's the big deal? And he says, Lord, open the eyes of my servant so that he will see that those who are for us are greater than those who are against us. And God opens the eyes of the servant and he looks. And first of all, he sees this foreign army surrounding them. But surrounding the foreign army, he sees chariots of fire. And he sees then how the Lord throws this foreign army into confusion and they slaughter themselves. And Elisha and the prophet are rescued. And there's times when we find ourselves in that place where we can't see the road ahead. And we need to remember that the one who is for us is greater than those who are against us. We need to again come before the Lord and say, Lord, would you open my eyes to see what you have promised even in the midst of what I'm going through today would you help me to see your provision your promise your working because I don't see the road ahead when nothing seems to make sense 
when we find ourselves in a crisis, we not only have his presence, we not only can seek him and say, God, open my eyes to see, but we also need to recognize that there is a sense in which we need to lay down our desire for control and to submit ourselves to God. A very familiar passage for many of us comes from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. I'm just giving a few examples of some of the promises that we have in Scripture. But there we're told, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In other words, you may be in a situation today where you need to learn and to recognize the reason you can't see the road ahead is because God has something better for you than what you can craft and accomplish in your own efforts. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Did you know that when we trust God rather than ourselves, that he is capable and faithful to lead us in the road that he has for us? Some of us can't see the road ahead because the road is very clearly marked but we want to go down that one. And the Lord is saying, no, that's not the road that I have for you. Stop chasing after that because I have this for you, which is better. We can be reminded that this same God who leads us is in control, that he cares for us, that he knows us. Again, another promise Jesus said to his disciples in the book of Matthew, chapter 10, verse 29 through 31, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, there it is again. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. In other words, God sees and he knows. If he is the one who determines when and where and how a sparrow will live or die, he is more than capable of looking after you. God has promised that his provision, his protection, his working in the lives of his people is constant because he cares for us, because you are precious to him. Do you know his promises? Because you see, he gives us his promises that they might sustain us. Just very briefly, a couple more, when we're discouraged or tempted to despair, we can remember that God is good Many of us have probably memorized or learned uh, the, the promise that we find in Romans 8.28. Now, we have to understand this within its context. But it declares, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, often we try to say, well, my idea of good is this. But if you keep reading in this passage, we learn that the good that God is working all things together for is our conformity to the likeness of Jesus and the certainty that those who are children of God will spend eternity with him and that nothing will be able to separate them from his love. But we know that God is at work in all things. There is nothing that we will face in our life. There is no journey that we will find ourselves on where God is not 
at work and where he will not rule and overrule in order to accomplish his good purpose. And then finally in Nahum, in chapter 1, we're reminded the Lord is good, that he is a stronghold in the day of trouble, that he knows those who take refuge in him. I don't know where you are today or what you're facing, but know that the Lord is good. Know that just as he said to Abraham, I am your shield, so it is true that he is a place of safety, a stronghold in trouble. And that he knows, that is, he is intimately acquainted with those who turn to him and the needs that we have. We've looked briefly at just a small handful of promises, and there are many promises throughout the pages of Scripture, but just as in Abraham's life, he didn't see the way ahead. He's like, God, you've said this, you've led me here, but I don't see how to get there from here. God sustained him with his promises. He gave him truth to hold on to so that he would keep on walking that journey of faith rather than fear, so that he would keep on pursuing where God was leading, even when he didn't see the road ahead. And when the divorce papers are served, and when you get turned down for yet another job, when you receive a failing grade, and when the medical bill that comes in the mail seems overwhelming, and when your house feels so lonely and quiet, where once it was a hive of activity, where the business plan that you were so sure about seems to be failing. Or on the other hand, when the opportunities seem to be coming so thick and so fast that you just don't know which decision to make. Whenever we find ourselves in a situation where we just don't see the road ahead. In all those times and more, we can find ourselves facing fear. So what do we do? How do we take this principle that we see in Genesis 15 and begin to apply it to our lives? When we can't see the road ahead, equip yourself with his promises now. If you're taking a road trip a long distance, you're probably going to take some time to make sure you have what you need with you for the journey. But one of the great challenges of the Christian life is that there are so many people who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ and they set out on this journey of faith but they've not packed the emergency kit. They've not checked the, 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 the spare. They've not grabbed the AAA card and the jack is at home in the garage. So when they get a flat, they're not prepared. I don't know where we each are today. Maybe you're thinking, hey, I, I see the road ahead. I, I, I don't see what the big deal here is. Now's the time to plant God's promises 
in your heart and in your mind so that you can hold on to them so that the Spirit of God will bring the Word of God to bear in the midst of that time where it seems like otherwise you would be tempted to fear or despair. Equip yourself with God's promises. One way in which you can begin to do that is a, a very simple verse that we find in, in Isaiah chapter 41. Maybe you're wondering, where do I begin with God's promises? Hey, this is a great place. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Maybe that's a place to start. Maybe today and this coming week, you could write down that verse. And you could begin to plant that in your heart. And when you find yourself tempted to fear, when you find yourself wondering, I don't see the road ahead, what do I do? You could remind yourself of the helper you have in your God. And finally, we need to remember that God's promise is not just for us. That we're not the only one who faces struggles. It may very well be that you can think of some other people in your life right now. A family member, a friend, a co-worker, somebody else in your small group or in this church. Who needs to be encouraged. Maybe as you look around this morning, there are some faces who you're accustomed to seeing here at Springbrook. And you've not seen them in quite some time. I want to encourage us to encourage someone else with God's promise this week to take some time and to pen a short note and remind somebody of the faithfulness of God and then to go out and to spend 60 cents. Can you believe it? On a stamp. And put that card in the mail. To reach out to them and to encourage someone who would God have you share a promise with this week? Not on Facebook saying, type amen if you believe this. But reaching out personally and saying, I'm thinking of you. I'm praying for you. I don't know all that's going on in your life right now. But God has encouraged me with this promise and I want to share it with you. You know, we don't need to be afraid or discouraged or lost, but rather remember that when you can't see the road ahead, God's promise will lead you and will sustain you. And know this, just as Abraham experienced what God has promised, he will do. Father, we thank you that your word is certain, that your promise is sure. And that just as you sustained Abraham when he couldn't see the road ahead, that we often find ourselves uncertain of the way, wondering what's next, tempted to fear. Oh God, would you so plant your word of truth in our hearts and our minds that we would remember that you are at work and that you are faithful even when we don't see the way ahead. I specifically today, oh God, would pray for some who are here, who are feeling so unsure, 
who feel like the road in front of them has just come to a, an end and they don't know where to turn or what to do. Lord, this day, would you comfort them with your presence? Would you sustain them with your peace? And would you set your way before them, granting them your vision and courageous faith to keep on walking even when they have felt tempted to give up. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We love to invite you to stand one more time in body or spirit as we respond and worship to this word we have received this morning. together. Be thou my vision.
Amen. We want to thank you so much for worshiping here with us this morning. May you go now in peace and faith, knowing that the Lord goes with you. Go now in him to love and serve the Lord. Have a blessed week.